minor league baseball season is over, but we're back with another episode of Minor League News and Brews. And by we, I mean me, Craig Toth, co-host of the Bucks in the Basement podcast with my good friend Chris Lanuti and the host of Minor League News and Brews talking about everything and anything that goes on down in the Pirates minor league system. And I thought the best way to take a look back at what happened uh, the whole way from the, the Florida Complex League, the whole way up to the Indianapolis Indians, was to kind of break down the best hitter and best pitcher at each level, uh, the top Pirates prospect performers, if you will. A lot of these names are going to be fairly familiar to Pirates fans, even the ones that pay attention to the minor leagues a little bit on the periphery. But I think that especially in the beginning here, these are names that uh, if you've watched any games or read or or listened to any of these you know previous episodes they may be familiar to you as well we're going to start down in the Florida Complex League uh possibly one of my favorite prospects uh from this past year uh Esmerlin Valdez plays he's an outfielder uh but also plays a little bit of first base he's in his 19 year old season and he is a returning player to the Florida Complex League, played in it last year, didn't have the greatest numbers, uh, but this year he slashed 312, 377, 518 with six home runs. The K rate uh, was around 22.6%. Based on balls getting up towards what I kind of see as like that little bit of a threshold, uh, I, I put that at usually like 10%. He was at, at 9.4%. Had a very solid season. I know that like guys like, you know, Jordani De Los Santos, uh, Lonnie White Jr. may have been some of the, the fresher names within that. Uh, but for anybody that saw Esmerlin play, uh, he just, I mean, really good bat-to-ball skills, a lot of power, good size. And going over to the mound, uh, Michael Kennedy, and this one will be kind of like really no surprise. I noticed that as I was writing down these names, and as for anybody that knows me, I do actually still write some this stuff down, is that a lot of the players were ones that were drafted uh, during the 2020, uh, the 2022 draft. Um, starting off with the fourth rounder, uh, Michael Kennedy, Signed for a cool million dollars, uh, almost double the slot. The slot was five hundred fifty-four thousand eight hundred. Uh, he got about forty-two innings pitched in there, uh, down in the, you know the lower levels of the minors, especially, and then even as we go up, the WHIP, the walks and hits per innings pitched, is something that really pay attention to because I mean, if you're not putting guys on base, then you know less likely to give up runs. I mean, there's not too many times where a guy has a very solid whip and then you'll see the ERAs up really high. It kind of is maybe showing that there may be a little bit of a course correction at some point in time. Michael Kennedy's whip for that time was a 1.039, a 2.13 ERA. 
the only downside to him that I've kind of seen is just the the velocity. I mean, he is a young pitcher. He's an 18-year-old season. So maybe, you know, over the offseason, you know, bulking up a little bit, uh, just becoming, you know, maybe working on some things mechanically to add some velocity to this. He did have a, a solid strikeout rate, 11.69 Ks per nine. But did walk um, a decent amount of guys at a 4.04 clip uh, based on balls per nine. You know, not something you really want to see. It was really like either strikeout, walk, didn't give up too many hits. Because when you see the the base on balls per nine get that high, you may see the whip uh, get a little bit higher. But, I mean, did have um, a very solid season. Moving up to Bradenton, sticking with the 2022 draft uh, in the first round, 200,000 over slot, 7.2 million, first rounder, Tamar Johnson. And I know for the old school baseball fans, people would be looking at that that batting average. And, you know, I would like to see that batting average you know, be a little bit higher, especially for a guy that was talked about as being, you know, having some of the best uh, bat-to-ball skills and getting comparisons to, you know, potential and, you know, former Hall of Famers as far as that goes. Um, In his time during Bradenton, the, the first thing, I mean, everybody's talking about this, is his walk rate, and it did continue when he did receive that promotion up to high A Greensboro, 21.8% base on ball rate, which is, I mean, just showing that he's not going to be one of those guys, you know, that's really, you know, chasing too much. You know, the pitching down in the Florida State League, in the Florida Complex League, obviously is not going to be to the caliber when you reach, you know, high A and especially double A. So showing some of that patience to the plate, but may have, you know, gotten a little bit frustrated at times, did see the 26.7% K rate. And then there's that batting average that I talked about, 244, but he did have the on-base percentage of 420, slugging of 448, 16 home runs. So we did see you know, some of that power potential from his smaller frame that was talked about, you know, from a you know shortstop second baseman. I mean, you'll take those power numbers all day. Would like to see the batting average come up a little bit. But for his, you know, first season in professional ball, uh, first full season, uh, starting off with, you know, a hamstring injury and, and getting off to, you know, a little bit of a slow start. Being able to turn it on, you know, a lot of good stuff there. On the pitching side of it, uh, a guy that really impressed me, uh, Derek Diamond, sixth sixth rounder from Old Miss, also from the 2022 draft, uh, pitched 74.2 innings for the Marauders this past season. Going straight towards the whip, the whip was the 1.232, uh, ERA 398. Uh, base on balls per nine was was really good for him this year. It was a 1.18 base on balls per nine. Uh, the K's, a uh, little bit disappointing. Want to see even a pitcher who's not really seen as a strikeout pitcher. You want to be averaging 
at least, you know, a strikeout per inning, get that nine, you know, Ks per nine. He was a little bit short of that, uh, 7.59 Ks per nine. But Derek Diamond put in, you know, a really good season this year. Looking to see, forward to see what he can do uh, for Greensboro next year. Uh, maybe hopefully Altoona at some point in time. But just one of those guys that, you know, just had a, a very solid season. Moving up to high A Greensboro. And this is a name I, I know there was probably, you know, people that were saying, you know, maybe like a Jace Bowen. And, and I do love Jace Bowen. But a guy that just kind of impressed me, you know, the entire season uh, was Trace Gonzalez. And another guy from the 2022 draft. Um, but this guy that is not, he's not a power hitter and I don't know if he's ever going to be a power hitter, a uh, good outfielder can play all the positions in the outfield, but for him, uh, it's, it's a lot of it is just the, the on base getting on base and not striking out a ton and looking at a guy who has an 18.7% K rate and a 14.5% base on ball rate. Hits for a decent average, the 287, uh, 401, and then you're going to see the 402 for for the slugging, which, I mean, he hit eight home runs, but as we all know, you know, this is Greensboro. So even guys that, you know, don't have a ton of power, um, you're going to see some of those, more of those balls leave the yard than you would, you know, in especially, you know, in Altoona, Indianapolis, and as you're moving up to the major leagues. So the eight home runs kind of turns into three to four to five, maybe, uh, once you get up to the upper level. So not a guy with a bunch of power, good defensive, good, you know, base on balls, good, good bat to ball skills, and kind of a guy that, you know, you may put in the future as a possible prototypical, you know, leadoff hitter. I know that's kind of old school. We see, you know, teams putting some of the guys that have, you know, high K rates, decent, you know, base on balls, uh, but hit a lot of home runs and stuff like that. We see them as the leadoff hitters now. But if we're going back to the old school, Trace Gonzalez would definitely fall into that. And, on the uh, on the uh, the pitching side, hitting the bump here, I'm gonna go, have to go with Bubba Chandler, and the overall numbers don't look you know great. Uh, 106 innings pitched, and like I said, we go towards that whip, and people will think I'm I'm kind of crazy here. Overall, he had the 1.500 whip, which obviously is not great. I mean, for a starter, even a back end starter. I know a lot of people give numbers, the one through fives or whatever, but I usually go front end, middle, back. Uh, Even with that, you need to have that, you know, definitely below 1.4, creeping towards 1.3. So the 1.500 is not great. 475 ERA overall had the 4.33 base on balls per nine, which is probably some of the reason for that higher that higher whip, uh, did have 10.19 Ks per nine, but the big thing and, and the reason for me kind of choosing him as you know the top Pirates pitcher um, in Greensboro this past year would be his last 49 innings pitched. I think that was around like nine starts. Uh, a 1.0 a 1.04 whip, a two. 57 ERA, 
got the base on balls per nine down from 4.33 to 2.94. Did see the K slip a little bit to exactly nine, but I mean, we saw better command, better control. And this is a kid who is, you know, this was his first season of just being a pitcher. I mean, when he was in high school, he was a hitter, a pitcher, a quarterback. Uh, last season in Bradenton, he was a pitcher and a hitter and, and still doing, you know, some fielding on the side. But this was like the first time where he focused solely on pitching. And I believe at the beginning of the season, I even talked about how I could possibly see him starting out in Bradenton. So to see him struggle a little bit at the beginning of the season in Greensboro, not not really something that concerns me. Did get the you know late late season cup of coffee call up to Altoona, much deserved. But you know Bobby Chandler, uh, definitely the pitcher for me in Greensboro. Moving up to Altoona, and and this one like to me was. I don't know if it's a little bit concerning. I know a lot of people would say on the hitting side, I you know you could go with you know a Matt Gorski and and I I thought you know Gorski had a a solid season, but you know after the season he had you know with Greensboro last year, call up to Altoona before he gets the big hamstring injury that that pretty much ends his season. Did come back a little bit, but you know didn't really do much, didn't go to the Arizona Fall League like they wanted him to. So I, I couldn't really go with him. And I didn't see, you know, a, a lot of, you know, really, really strong performances. So I, I don't know if this is people would see this as a cop out or what it would be, but I mean it, Joe Perez and a lot of people didn't notice that, you know, when Houston decided to move on from him, wasn't having a great season in AAA for them. I believe his WRC plus was around 75. Didn't see him as part of the future down in Houston, you know, even though 2017 second round player out of high school, um, still, you know, a fairly young, right around like 24 years old. In his time in Altoona, slashing 341, 477, 624, seven home runs. And I know that people would say, you know, that maybe he was playing down a level, um, but still like a fairly like, not old for the level. So for me, you know, he's he's the player of the year for me. And, and then the pitcher, like I said, we're going to start seeing names that everybody is extremely familiar with. And this is. You know, Anthony Solomito, uh, he had 51.2 innings pitched, got off extremely hot start, cooled off a little bit, talked about him in previous episodes, and, you know, was put on the developmental list, came back, put on the developmental list to end the season. But we also talked about, you know, how many innings, you know, he pitched this season. I uh, got a 4.35 ERA, a 1.219 WHIP, so still you know a good end to the season. You know, surprisingly, based on how the numbers were at the beginning of the year, as far as strikeouts, especially Greensboro, then in Altoona, you know, only 20 years old, ended with uh, 8.71 Ks per nine, 2.44 base on balls per nine. Just a lot of good stuff to see from this kid at such a young age. Didn't really know, you know, what we were going to see from him. Could have, you know, 
possibly seen him spend the entire year down in Altoona. So, I mean, down in Greensboro, but to see him play in Altoona as much as he did, you know, over 50 innings, be a good start to the year, a good start to the season, and hopefully, you know, kind of builds upon, you know, what he learned. Um, and, you know, you're seeing players fast-tracked, especially within the Pirates system, a little bit more. Um, some of the – one of the next guys we're going to be talking about in Indianapolis absolutely fast-tracked based on, you know, what we've seen previously. And we could kind of even just go to that uh, with Indianapolis, with the pitching side of things. Uh, Jared Jones uh, didn't, you know, have the end to the season that a lot of people, you know, were kind of hoping for, hoping to see the call up. I mean, everybody at this point in time, you know, knows, you know, if they didn't do it, why they weren't going to do it. And that's because he doesn't have to be added to the 40 man to be protected from the rule five draft this year. Um, And I know that there are, there's there's still a decent amount of fat on the major league team that could be trimmed off in those 40-man spots. But Ben Sherrington has shown that he is, I don't know, very cautious and just with those, you know, making those types of decisions and adding somebody when they actually technically don't need to be added. Uh, but also, you know, wearing down towards the end of the season, had a couple good starts. Uh, but then had, you know, a little bit of a disappointing, you know, outing in his last start for the minor league season. But overall, you know, for his age at Indianapolis, and this isn't even, this isn't including the Altoona numbers, this is just the Indianapolis numbers, 82 innings pitched, a 1.317 whip. So at that point, looking at, you know, back of the end of the rotation, type of numbers but for his age 22 year old season in Indianapolis I mean can't be you know too disappointed in that a 4.72 ERA a little bit high on the walks 3.73 base on balls per nine but did have the 10.87 Ks per nine and you know his stuff the secondary stuff that we saw from him I I still think it's possible that his slider is is his best pitch. The fastball is you know, kind of lights out, and I know people you know walking towards that. You know, is he a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? A lot of that, you know, two pitch you know type of stuff. And it was the talk with Rowanzi, the talk with Luis Ortiz. You know, can you just be a fastball uh, slider type of guy, curveball? He does have technically three pitches. Has, has mixed the change in there a little bit. There's some going with mixed. There's mixed reviews on that. I, I saw it work well at times. I, I saw it not work so great at times. But I, I think that it's people, I don't know, may overestimate. Like It's like, oh, he's only that two-pitch pitcher. Well, um, I forget who it was at one point in time had him on the Bucks and Basement show. I think it might have been Jeff Carstens was like, but what if your two pitches are just absolutely lights out? And for, for Jared Jones, I kind of see it along you know those lines. I mean, if he ends up being in, in the bullpen, is, is that a failure? Is that a loss? I, I don't know. Um, depends on, you know, <laughs> how successful he is in that. But for me, I mean, I don't want to see it mess with too much. If those things are working well and it's working well for him, you know, we're definitely going to see him at some point in time in 2024 
had a very good season, unexpected to be called up as early as he was to Indianapolis. So very happy with the type of season he had. And then on the hitting side of things, it, it's going to be Nicky G for me, Nick Gonzalez. And I know, you know, Miguel Anjouar, a lot of people will say, but I don't really consider him like a prospect anymore. I mean, he's had so much time in AAA. And I, once again, knowing that it's not the best end to the season, you know, for a Nick Gonzalez getting the call up back up to the major leagues after Indianapolis season ended, uh, getting sent down. Uh, to Indianapolis to work on some things, but we did see a decent amount of improvement from him. I talked about this. I don't know if it was on Box in the Basement or one of the more uh, recent episode of Minor League News and Brews, uh, talking about Ben Charrington saying that it was kind of the expectation for Nick Gonzalez to spend an entire season in AAA. I know that people wanted to see him called back up uh, a little bit sooner, I don't know. For me, I was thinking that, you know, maybe just let his season end well in in, in AAA, you know, end kind of on a high note, on a positive. I'm going to see him get into, you know, maybe, I don't know when you're listening to this, but possibly a couple more, you know, at-bats at the major leagues. But, you know, the way he ended his minor league season, cutting down on the Ks uh, based on balls going up, to see his numbers sit where they do at the end of the season in AAA, it, it's encouraging to me. I mean, the the K rate started out at the beginning of the season well north of 30, which is not something you want to see. Um, but ended the season 26.6, you know, K's, K percentage, which for him, I mean, that that's about the – I mean, one of the best you can ask for, especially when you see the base on balls percentage go up over 10. He ends the year at 12%, hitting 281, 379, 507, 14 home runs. For Nikki G, just, just a definitely, you know, a solid season. Couldn't ask for, like I said, much more to end the season, especially kind of the way the season began, uh, just with the high K rates and seeing him make adjustments to balls, uh, especially, you know, some of the off-speed stuff, uh, give him a fastball down the middle and he'll launch it. Uh, But I definitely saw him, you know, make the adjustments and stuff that he needed to do um, and that could be done at AAA because, I mean, a lot of the times, you know, AAA is where it's it's like finishing school. It's where you get your polishing in. And you can really kind of work on some of that stuff. Now, will that turn out to be success at the major leagues? I mean, who knows? And he's going to have some tough competition at second base. Uh, From what Chris and I talked about this last time, we think, you know, Jared Triolo. uh, I know a lot of people are pushing towards first base. For me, uh, for Chris, we're pushing more for him to be you know, maybe uh, starting second baseman, but also, you know, moving around the field because he does have that flexibility uh, for off days for whoever the regular first baseman would be, third base for Cabrian Hayes. So he's a guy that would be starting, you know, every day, but wouldn't be playing, you know, the entire time 
at second base, but then you've got, you know, Nick Gonzalez, Leover Piguero, and there's a G1 Bay. I mean, there's definitely a, a lot of competition there. Um, so, I mean, next year is going to be, you know, fairly telling, you know, for what type of player you know, Nick Gonzalez is going to turn out to be. And this was, a, a, you know, a very exciting minor league season. I decided to do minor league news and brews. I've been talking about it for a long time. So anybody that's listened, you know, during the regular season, greatly appreciate it. Hopefully going to be having some more content, some some stuff coming, maybe like a level-by-level level recap coming up in, you know, the coming weeks just like we did. Uh, the previews level-by-level level prior to the season. Uh, definitely going to be talking some Rule 5 stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff that can still go on, even though, you know, the minor league season has ended. We've still got the Arizona Fall League coming up, so going to be you know, talking about some of those players. Uh, but to everybody that's listened, really appreciate it, and we're going to get to some beer reviews. A pitcher of beer, a pitcher of beer, let's order another pitcher of beer. That pitcher of beer should come over. When I was trying to think about, you know, a beer review to do here, and I, as I sit here, the Cincinnati Reds are 1.5, one and a half games out of the wild card. And for me, I mean, some people hate the Cubs, some people hate the Cardinals. I have no idea why, but for just the Reds, to me, just... Uh, I they just frustrate me and, and annoy me more than any other team uh, in the central. I don't know if it's the Great American Small Park. I don't know if it's them thinking that you know making. I love that they make opening day into you know a celebration, but it, it just I don't know Cincinnati. So in celebration of hopefully fingers crossed the Cincinnati Reds not making the playoffs. Sorry, Cincinnati fans. I am going to go with Rhinegas Brewing. Cincy made, have had a decent amount of their beers before. Starting off with the Imperial India Pale Ale Knowledge, 8.5%. I had this one first in this sample pack just because... I wanted to have the beers that I might like a little bit better towards the end. As I've talked about before, as I've gotten a little bit older, been drinking craft beers for probably going on, I don't know, about 12 years now. I started to get uh, into the the craft beer scene just because, I mean, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was a PBR, Icy Light drinker in my 20s and early 30s and stuff and would go over to my buddy's house and he would have a dogfish head and he was you know really big into some of the IPAs different stuff like that and if I was going to have a couple beers it was going to be drinking what he had so um, I definitely did like those a little bit more that the the higher alcohol content the stronger beers I, one of those, uh, and this one, you know, 8.5%, but I had this one in the beginning, give this one, I'll give it a 375, bring it down to 325. 
I of the the uh, the IP the Imperial IPAs that I've had before, it was solid, but it's it's definitely not at the top of that. Uh, this one was a new one for me. Uh, it is Kiwi the Bird, a New Zealand style IPA, coming in at seven percent. Definitely liked it better than the Imperial. Didn't know what to expect uh, from it, but a solid beer. I uh, give this one a 400, uh, bring that down to 350. Then we have Vision, the West Coast style pale ale, 5.5%, a good West Coast style pale ale. Uh, this one also around a 400, bring it down to 350. And then everybody knows how much I love the hazies. This one is called Juicy Truth. A hazy, juicy IPA coming in a little bit higher than the the juicies. I usually like kind of level out at around like 6%. This one came in at about 6.5%. I definitely was my favorite beer of this sampler pack. I And this is, I'm going to give it a 425. Bring it down to 375 going to be the last beer review for the quote-unquote regular minor league season. Hoping to get out to some more breweries um, around uh, the area here, you know, during the off-season. Uh, but, you know, for the last time here, and can't wait till minor league baseball season comes back. As always here on Minor League News and Brews, it's go Indians, go Curve, go Hoppers, go Marauders, go FCL, DSL, and also the Arizona Fall League. Can't wait to you know dig into some of that uh, as the uh, off season starts.